Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of The Snyder Cut. I am your excited host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, and I'm excited today because we have yet another guest. He is the director of the hottest show on television, HBO's Mayor of Easttown. It's Craig Zobel. Thanks for joining us today, Craig. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Man, I have been following your career for quite a while. I still think I have a Magnolia Pictures DVD of Great World of Sound. Like yes. Um, so, so I want to, you know, give the audience a little bit of your backstory. I know you were born in New York. You grew up in Atlanta. You went to college in, in North Carolina. And you started out working with David Gordon Green. So sort of you talk to us about, about that experience and what put you into, into position to direct your first movie, essentially. Yeah, so with David, I was uh, I was uh, kind of doing unit production manager kind of roles, like like you know the junior producer, the person that actually like you know hired the catering company type roles. <laughs> um, David and I had been old friends from school, and um, and and I did that w- with him, and 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 kind of in the south for a while, and then moved to New York and. Uh, Right after September 11th, 2001, and uh, uh, I felt like it was pre-disastered and moved up there, and um, and started working up there mostly as an an AD, as an assistant director, mm-hmm. and um, did that for for several years until I had finally saved up enough uh, money to to go make Great World of Sound, and um, and also had met enough people that I could beg to go do it for a hundred dollars, and it would like, you know, come out. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we all went and made Great World of Sound in 2004. Wow. Um, okay. And so, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, so from Great World of Sound, we're going to circle back to the other stuff too. You, you end up going to Compliance, which I saw at Sundance and, and it totally blew me away. And then that's where it's like, all right, I got to start paying attention to everything this guy does. <laughs> uh, and he did Z for Zachariah. Then the hunt, uh, the, the the Blumhouse movie. You've done a lot of television in there, particularly with HBO, The Leftovers, and Westworld and whatnot. Which brings us to Mayor of Easttown, uh, which is what we are here to talk about. Now, only one episode has aired, so I need to tread right. lightly. I've seen five of the seven, but why don't you, you know, tell me sort of how you first got involved with this project? Because I understand that you you were coming on to replace Gavin O'Connor, who had like a scheduling conflict or something. Yeah, that's right. So they had started. Uh, they had, they had started shooting a couple. They were like a, a couple weeks into shooting, um, and and had to, you know, basically, he had to go, and and so th- they came to me and and asked if I would help, and I, I immediately read the script, and it was, it really was like I was like, oh, this is something that I'm interested in, and that it's like it's not just a procedural it clear it was clear that it was reaching for you know being able to be a drama uh, have a dramatic family drama element to it as well um and uh, i thought that was cool and of course caitlin is, is very cool um and and i got to talk to her and and see some of the stuff that she had done and i was like oh this is a different you know direction than what it necessarily read as actually um and and in talking to her kind of about like what her interests were in it i I was able to kind of also be able to see like oh i i think that i could be of value or like i want to see that version of the kate winslet uh performance (laughs) um and and like and want to help make that version of a kate winslet performance which was that she was she was eager to 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 you know, make this character not, not like anything that I have could off the top of my head thought she had done before. And, and she's a bit of a, you know, Mayor is a, a bit of a, she's a person that, you know, was famous from high school. She was a high school athlete and like uh, sort of is well known in her town, became a police officer. So she's always kind of had this like level of authority in the town but is now like in her mid forties and is sort of over that, that has, is no longer her, you know, driving her anymore. And, and she's sort of over kind of over it with a lot of people. It doesn't have a lot of time for people. And there was just something about, you know, essentially Kate Winslet playing a grump that I was like, that's cool. (laughs) 
did Brad Inglesby, who created and wrote the show, did he have all seven scripts ready to go went by the time that you signed on? And, and I'm curious what you focused on while reading them. Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, he did have all scripts uh, ready by the time okay. that, that I signed on. Um, and so I was able to kind of know the whole story um, um, at, at once. Um, what did I focus on while reading? Right. Are you like thinking about how I'm going to shoot this scene or whatever, or are you just sort of giving yourself over to this, this mystery? It's a really interesting question. I don't think I ever have like really like analyzed what I was thinking. I, I think what I essentially what I was like interested in, you know, pre talking to Kate about it, like I was, I was, I, I understood the mystery part of it. And, and I had done this, uh, this uh, television show called $1 that's on Paramount Plus. Um, that was also a murder mystery. So I, I kind of was like, maybe keeping track of like, you know, where the moves were for that and like what that, what, you know, what that, how that, the plot uh, elements of that working. But I was just interested in that, like, you know, if you're going to name something mayor of Easttown, you've really got to make it be about those two things, about Marianne Sheehan, <laughs> you know, mayor and about Easttown. And like, I, I thought that the script was, it looked ambitious and like hard, so like make sure that because there's a lot of characters and a lot of story and a lot of story that isn't about the plot um but it's about but uh, uh, so it was also about me kind of coming to i remember the first conversations i had with with brad i i was really like i immediately recognized it as like that a lot of the characters have some bit of grief in their past that they have not um dealt with in a way and that was sort of the central problem that a lot of the characters kind of had and um and i guess i started just kind of tracking that as being like like how do you sort of tell a story about like why it's health healthy to like overcome grief <laughs> which that sounds like a, a tv show i wouldn't want to watch so I, I would never pitch it that way like off the bat so i apologize but it but it, it that is like the thesis the the kind of the like root question I, I feel like is maybe something about like what in your past you need to like let go of to like be a more healthy person right this is this and is it's a fun murder mystery with Kate Winslet in it <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about the accents because every review had to sort of get its two cents in uh, on that front <laughs> Did, was there an accent coach for the cast were there times that you had to rein anybody in like you're going overboard with the accent or did you have to like encourage people uh, remember you're in Pennsylvania it was more the latter, to be honest, because I think it's an intimidating accent. Um, we did have a, a Suzanne McCarthy uh, was our accent coach uh, on set every day, which is not a thing that always happens. Um, you don't always get the privilege of being able to hire that crew member. Mm -hmm. um, so that was cool. Um, and, uh, and she was a big help because she was actually also from the area. Uh, so she's like, incredibly well acquainted with the accent and acquainted with like kind of like where the accent lands on different socioeconomic and kind of like age related mm -hmm. backgrounds um uh which was helpful so we were really able to kind of dial in like oh what does this say about this person like how much accent should this person have was always the question you know and the, the second question was <laughs> well how how comfortable are they trying to do it and and you know like d does this actor want to you know how comfortable is the actor with the accent <laughs> um but uh but uh we did try to dial it in and, and most of the time it was you know i would say in a given day it was always there and it was always hard it really did recede into the background as being like another thing that happens like maybe the the focus was off a little or something. It's like the accent was off. Like it kind of became just one of the hard things that you're doing. So it's been fun in the, in the you know, wake of releasing the first episode to hear people from Pennsylvania say that we uh, did a good job. I'm I mean, fr from the folks on staff who, who have uh, experience in that area, it sounds like you really nailed it. Like I'm in Boston. So we're used to hearing Boston accents in movies, mostly terrible and New York accents, but the, yeah, Pennsylvania is very unique. Right. Um, I'm curious, what, what are some of the tripwires that you aim to avoid based on other limited mystery series like this one? Like, are there any shows that you sort of watch where you're like, oh, okay, I got to make sure to avoid doing this or, or tipping my hand with regards to that? To rephrase that a little, like, I guess I wasn't ever like, it's always like, oh, well, that one, that particular story, like, they don't 
let you in on this or that mm. um, until way late. Like, it was less about it, like, what do I avoid? And more like, how, what do we want to, how much plot? Because when I watch things, there's a point at which I want to be like in on the like, like there's some fun in trying to figure out who did it. Right. <laughs> you know, that like you don't want to like make it too hard to figure out, but then you don't want to make it too easier. That's like disappointing at the same level. So right. it was really kind of about balancing that. And honestly, it was m- more than just... Uh, uh, balancing that it was like I, there was a lot of times where me and Kate were constantly the ones kind of talking about this I was like oh don't you think we should also do it this way in case everybody's already figured that little plot point out <laughs> you know so we would do take five or something just to to with the it's like trying to give ourselves options in the edit room in case once we put it all together it felt like oh that is very clearly something that um everybody's getting or whatever, you know, like, like to try to have the option to balance it later. I've already seen, you know, a couple articles. And I know Collider's actually working on one, like speculating as to the identity of the killer. And are oh, you worried crazy. that, are you worried that people will get too caught up in, in playing that game and sort of miss the bigger picture of what you're trying to accomplish with that series? Or is that just, you know, part of the, the fun? No, I'm not. And I'll tell you why is like, I truly do think that like, the characters are interesting and rich and 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 you truly could have made a family drama of this i don't know that like that would have gotten me to watch it right you need that 2021 mm-hmm. but you could i think that it's interesting i think i i find it personally find it interesting to kind of follow what mayor is doing and what her her and her circle of people but i think that there is something that is just fun about the like thing so i'm mm-hmm. i'm eager i can't wait to hear whatever who everybody thinks it is i mean I, I can't i've wait been to... enjoying just reading the articles based on the first episode and, and knowing having a little bit more information about uh-huh. writing this uh, i have my own guesses but i also don't want to tip my hand um, yeah i'm i can't wait to read this that's like literally the part i'm the most excited about is to see to see if uh really to see if we did it did it right <laughs> If I can say it. <laughs> so far, so good. Honestly, I've been very impressed with uh, the way that you guys have set up certain characters at Red Herrings and just like furtive glances. Maybe it's just little notes that you give each actor and you're like, huh, could it be that person? But that's the thing. It's like you want, that's, we kind of were doing that with truly like almost everybody got a chance to like give me a furtive glance as yeah. like just in case. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about some, some of the uh, other movies that you've made. Um, you know, I, I, and you've directed Compliance and The Hunt, which are, you know, p- two pretty controversial movies. So are, do you yeah. feel like you're attracted to controversial material? Do you feel like the, it, it's the external forces that, that find controversy in a movie and that stuff's out of your control? Uh, it would be disingenuous to, know, to say that with The Hunt, I didn't know that that it was in some ways going to be somewhat debated. Mm-hmm. I guess that I, I thought the challenge was to make it like clear, like what it was. And the, the thing that I didn't anticipate and um, the, because in my mind, it was like supposed to be fun. Like that was supposed to be a fun movie that, um, you know, my references were like evil dead Two and stuff like that. Like it was, it like was a, fun. I'm not one of these people who sort of politicizes these movies, but I, I see that that's what it got turned into. And that happened prior to anybody seeing it. Right. Like literally right. there had been no one, no reviewer, no, no one had seen it. And it right. sort of uh, happened. And that was the one thing that I didn't anticipate with that movie that I should have, I guess, in retrospect, but, um, but uh, I, I just kind of assumed people would be like, well, everybody's going to, have to just watch it to understand that. It's like, no, not anymore. People don't have to watch it to like have a lot of opinions about something. For sure, for sure. People yeah. don't need to read the articles anymore. They just see the headline and the <laughs> um, But, but right. with compliance, I imagine it was a completely different thing. I mean, this was one- That was a different thing. That was literally came out of like, I read that article, I read like articles about this person who was doing, because uh, it was based on all these like, tr- you know, true yeah. stories that happened multiple multiple like i think it was like now i've forgotten the exact number but it was like seven seventy something times that this had happened and 
I just was kind of so like caught up in like being like, what did the guy say on the phone that convinced all this? Like what? Like as a writing exercise, that was a fun writing exercise. Just be mm-hmm. like, how would you possibly do that? And um, and, and so that really did was born out of like the art project of like what is going on in those that scenario that is making those people agree to this outlandish behavior and then kind of like being able to like separate a little bit from it and also see like this is a conversation about power really like is what it is you know and so yeah i mean that really came out of it i i think that if i'd had more time to make that movie like the, the other element was that uh tyler davidson this the one of the producers you know had had read another script i'd written and was like i don't know that we can kind of have the the resources to do something in that direction and that way but if you have any sort of like crime story you know like like we're kind of interested in doing like a genre piece and i pitched him this thing because i had been writing it and he was like that's great and if that hadn't happened i probably wouldn't have had the guts to like really like pursue it but then all of a sudden the train was leaving the station and we were just going to make that movie and, all, all and, aboard so yeah. were you were you caught off guard or surprised at all by by the reactions you know at a Sundance and, and things yeah. like that? <laughs> that was like I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube somewhere you can watch my reactions <laughs> because it was a uh, from the from when the lights came up on compliance it was a uh, it was a bit of a it was uh, it was quite a uh, I mean yeah that was like a, I'll never I'll never forget walking down the aisle to like get up on the stage to do the question and answer period uh for that was one of the weirder things like and i had a firing squad <laughs> yeah like there was people mad and then there was people like clapping and then like i walked by a, a person that i knew um just vaguely i'd had like a meeting or two with in my life who was like who looked up at me and i looked down at him and he was like that was great and so it's like okay so it's like not everybody thinks that it's bad <laughs> you know i like needed that guy <laughs> so much oh, because I, I, I thought it was i thought it was absolutely brilliant um and, and and i feel like it gave us and dowd and bill camp i feel like they've totally blown up since that movie they're like the I know. character so proud. I know. yeah absolutely yeah um, um they were um, great i mean and they were just great both of them were people that came in because we just auditioned that whole movie we we knew that it, it was going to be you know we weren't going to try to go get you know name stars uh for it because we didn't really have the money to be frank um um but also that it was a complicated enough of a story that it had to be people that wanted to tell it and um and like i think bill camp was one of the first i think he was the first person to read that role and um and we were i was just like done i was like okay or you can I mean, do it like, like that. I'm sure I'd Amazing. seen Bill Camp and Andy before then, but like I didn't notice them and know them by name until that movie. And obviously, Dreamer was great, and, and Pat was was excellent as well. Uh, that's just right. one of my favorites. I've seen that a few times now. Um, oh, thank you very much. As a former Blumhouse intern, I wanted to ask, you know, what what your experience was <laughs> like working on, at Blumhouse, and if there's a horror movie that you'd love to remake or reboot with that company. Uh. Yeah, I'm. I had an amazing experience working with with Blumhouse, and uh, I'm eager to work with them again soon. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm talking about uh, doing some stuff with them soon. So yeah, um, might not be like a direct horror movie. Um, the same way the Hunt Hunt really isn't exactly a horror movie. It's right. sort of a action movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I I I mean, incredibly creative place to work uh incredibly supportive people i i found is there an old uh, genre movie that you'd love to reboot with them yeah as far as like a genre movie uh i well i i throw i i you know jason and and cooper the other person there i i i throw them uh names all the time of like movies and they're always like yeah you can't get the rights to that sorry (laughs) 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 um and I have an original idea that I'm kind of talking about um, to, to actually write again. Um, but uh, uh, I'm also really interested in The Silent Partner right now. I, I've been obsessed with that movie for years and years and years. And for whatever reason, I rewatched it the other day. It's an Elliot Gould bank robbery movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, 
I don't know something it's a really well structured plot so it's like it's Curtis Hansen wrote it so it's like this like incredibly well structured story and um and uh I think it could be a cool movie again like I think it, a remake of that would be cool I, I know uh, I, I'd love to see Blumhouse do uh, a new Dr. Fibes movie. I know Ryan Turek loves, loves that movie. Uh, yeah. Um, are you interested? Yeah, <laughs> are you interested? And that's very, it seems like Ryan would. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, are you interested in producing more like indie animated fare, like my entire high school singing into the sea? I actually very much am. Um, and, and trying to kind of help. Uh, I have some friends that are, are doing uh, um that are doing a, an animated stop motion thing um, that they're trying to put together uh, right now that I'm, I'm helping with. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I am so excited about CryptoZoo Dash Shaw's new movie that played Sundance this year. Magnolia actually bought it and is, is releasing it. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was very cool. So, um, um, you know, uh, just a few more questions. I know, I know you've got a, a few more minutes left, but um now, there's a lot of talk right now in the industry about Scott Rudin and, and bullying and power. And uh, I'm just curious if you've ever had an experience with a Rudin type of bully and, and how you dealt with that situation. You don't have to name names if you don't want I, to. I think that this is an interesting conversation. It's funny that like I was actually thinking about this when Me Too started. I was like when I recognized that we kind of need to first like start really analyzing the people who are predatory sexual predators in our industry which clearly there are and i'm not sure that we're done with that um but like there are also a lot of jerks <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and like and like i think i've thought about it a bunch because i think it's like why is and maybe this maybe there are people that are that big a jerk in every industry i don't know my my instinct is that there might be more of them in the film industry simply because Nobody's quite sure why a movie is good or a TV show is good. If studios had figured out how to make movies or TV shows good without like directors or creative people, uh, we they would have, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. If there was a four, you know, like, yeah. like, that would have happened a long time ago. But because like, it's like, well, I don't know. That one just became like ridiculously popular. Mm. Like there is some long leash kind of given to people in that way. And I think that, um, I think that, that, I'm just glad that because I try my my best and I hope that people see me as a person that is not, I mean, I don't yell. I was a first AD. So I actually You've like through it. got yelled at by the directors a lot. You know, like that's actually the person that gets the most yelled at mm -hmm. by the, by the like jerk. And I'm just saying director because uh, that was my experience there. Obviously producer applies too, but um. <laughs> Like, uh, but like, I, yeah, I just reckon, you know, there's always the like, it's not, if you're not making it a creative place to work and you're making it a sad, scary place to work, you can tell in the movie. <laughs> I really think, you know, like, like, for instance, The Hunt. The Hunt was so fun to make. Like, everybody was having a good time, like, while we were making that movie. And I kind of feel like you can tell in the movie that everybody was invested in that way and um yeah i i don't know I, I i'm sort of going in different directions but I, I it certainly has been a thing i've thought about a bunch because i i have recognized that that personality type has been a problem for a really long time i mean yeah I, they yelled at me <laughs> so <laughs> well i'm, I'm yeah. glad the industry's having that that reckoning now um i know we're going to talk about it a little bit later in, in the podcast when, once you sign off uh, before I let you go, you know, the Oscars are on Sunday. Is there anyone that you're rooting for to, to win? Uh, yeah, I guess like I, I'm really rooting for, I'm a, a huge fan of and a friend of Shaka King. So I, I, I really hope that, that Shaka um, uh, gets recognized just because he's, he's the best dude and, and that would be super exciting. Um, I'm super excited about uh, uh, Leslie Adam too, who was in, uh, mm -hmm. was in, uh, one dollar the television show that i did i'm gonna have um, to track that down that so, sounds cool yeah so um do you have do you have a favorite like guilty movie pleasure i certainly do let's see what <laughs> genre pick a genre to help me narrow it down oh man um <laughs> i don't know okay like a, a feel bit like a comedy or a rom-com how about that 
A rom-com? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. Off the top of my head, the um, the proposal is really, <laughs> really solid rom-com, I think. <laughs> for Weddings and Funeral, also very solid rom-com. And then if, if I had to ask for like a horror thriller, do the flip side of the comedy coin. Like a bad horror movie? I mean... One like that one people that would say is bad, but you're like, you know what? I, I love it. I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> uh, gosh, I mean, I do feel like there's probably a lot. Um, uh, let's see, just, just a bad one. Um, Chud, maybe? Nice. Yeah, I'll watch that whenever, whenever, that, uh, whenever that's on. Um. Okay, so Craig, before I let you go, uh, why don't you tease episode two for us? Because the, the, uh, the, this is going to go up tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, and so right. we're entering episode two on Sunday. What, what can we learn about Mayor and, and Easttown? Uh, yeah, so um, episode two, uh, obviously we'll start um, with an investigation uh, into the, the, the murder of the, the person that... Um, you know, you, you see dead at the end of episode one. Um, and you really get to see Mare uh, start to put together uh, how, how, she, how she works. And like, you get to see detective work from her and, and, and kind of like what her personality is and like how she uh, approaches that kind of stuff. She also uh, gets put with a partner in Evan Peters um, who I'm just very, I was a huge ginormous Evan Peters fan anyway. Um, and I am so excited for everybody to see Evan in this, uh, in this series. Cause I, I feel like it's like a cool role of his and he really, uh, knocked it out of the park. So. He is, he is really good in the show and I, and it made me even more, uh, excited to see him as Jeffrey Dahmer coming up. Like, yeah, I know it's going to be good. Um, guys, yeah. mayor of Easttown, absolutely fantastic. Check out my review over on collider.com. Craig Zobel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff. Anytime. Uh, you're welcome right. back. Uh, take care. All right. That was Craig Zobel, director of Mayor of Easttown. Uh, and now we got to get into the second half of this show because we got a lot of news to talk about. And we teased the, uh, some Scott Rudin stuff, you know, uh, dur during that episode or during that interview, we talked about him. But uh, the Rudin fallout continues. You know, it remains the top story of the week. Even Peter Bart devoted his column to it this week. Uh, so Scott said that he is stepping away from Broadway. And he will not be involved in The Music Man uh, after Sutton Foster spoke out and then Hugh Jackman issued a statement. And, you know, Hugh Jackman's statement was more like, I'm glad everyone has had the, the, the chance to speak their truth. And I'm glad that, that Scott has finally spoken up and addressed it. Uh, and, and now we can all, you know, you know, move on and try to create the, the best musical possible. Now, Rudin, uh, you know, at first it was Broadway, then it was the film community that sort of came for his head. Uh, and, and it was announced that he's has been stripped of credits on five A24 projects, I believe it is. Uh, and those are The Humans with Amy Schumer, uh, Red, White and Water with Jennifer Lawrence, The Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, that's from Joel Cohen, uh, Everywhere All at Once, that's from The Daniels, uh, the, the Swiss Army Men guys, and then Alex Garland's Men, um, which I believe is gonna star Jesse Buckley. Uh, no word on anything from, from French Dispatch, which he's an executive producer on. So I think the question is, you know, should he be stripped of these credits? And, and to be honest, I don't think that's the answer. Like you guys heard me last week. Scott Rudin, not a good guy. Uh, not a fan. But should he be stripped of these credits? No, I just think that's disingenuous. He did the work. He produced these movies. These movies were produced by Scott Rudin. There's no getting around that. Right, just taking his name off the credits or off the, the poster, like it, it doesn't take away the fact that this was a movie produced by Scott Rudin. And I do think that people should be, you know, get credited for their work. I mean, if you know, if actors can be uncredited, then this is the flip side of that coin. You know, if actors can be in a movie and be uncredited, then there's really no reason a producer can't either. But like. You know, should he be giving up his, uh, you know, producing fees or, or anything like that? Like, is, is he not going to be making money on the on these projects that he put years of his life into? That that doesn't make sense to me. Now, now what makes sense is leaving Scott Rudin's name on these projects, uh, and, and him donating this his, his salary or the points that he has on these movies 
to either organizations that, you know, deal, uh, that benefit people who um, have, you know, had PTSD issues or, you know, uh, organizations that benefit, you know, people struggling with su suicidal ideation, um, you know, st stuff like that, or even just organizations that, that work to, to, you know, fight bullying. Um, I, I just think that there's something that we can not just learn from the, from the Scott Rudin situation, but there's a way for him to just to like address it in a constructive way uh, rather than just like, all right, I'm going to take, pick up my ball and, and go home. And like, you know, I'm not going to be involved in these things anymore, which is like, obviously bullshit too. I mean, Eli Bush runs Scott's company and his name is still on all these movies. Like he's still the producer on, on, on half the movies that I named. So like, okay, Eli Bush is producing them on behalf of Scott Rudin Productions, you know? So I, I just don't understand the, the um, that impulse to, to like, okay, we gotta get Rudin's name off the movie. It's not like he's like an actor where, where the, if the public, like most, first of all, 99% of the public does not know who Scott Rudin is, right? He's, he's a producer. He, I mean, he, he's a big name in the industry, but he was never like a, a visible, a super visible kind of guy who's always given interviews like like a Joel Silver or Jerry Bruckheimer like I don't think that he has that kind of um name cachet to audiences I mean in the in the industry you know for sure he does um but I, I just like is it that the talent doesn't want to like what what is the talent going to say like they, they made these movies with Scott Rudin they're supposed to be like oh well Scott's not credited as a producer anymore so it's like we never worked together like I, I know that that is, is sort of the, the big um, thing about all of this, right? It's, it's, about, it's about protecting the talent. And, and Scott is worried that the talent is going to have to, uh, you know, address his behavior and, and speak to it. And he hates putting them in that, in that position because, you know, as I think one of the trades said today, like once the talent bails on you, then, then you're fucked, right? Like that, that is Rudin's whole thing is I have great taste. I can, you know, have incredible access to material. Um, you know, I, I can win you your Oscar or whatever it is. But uh, so, so it's like, that was the film fallout, which I don't necessarily agree with. I'd like to see rather like a statement, rather than just we're, we're kicking your name off all these movies that you made for us, a statement from A24 that said, we are, have severed our relationship uh, with Scott Rudin, you know, after these, you know, four movies or five movies, and we won't be developing with him going forward. Then again, that that also takes away the chance that, that Rudin could change his behavior, which, you know, he very well could. Do I think he's going to at 62 years old or whatever? No, not really. Uh, he doesn't, really seem like a guy who, who's committed to change. Um, uh, but I also hate being that guy who's just like, you know, he should just be disavowed and, and disowned because listen, there's a lot of jerk bosses in the industry. And if every one of them got kicked out, like, I don't know how many producers there would be left. Uh, meanwhile, the PGA has launched a task force to, to investigate this kind of stuff. People are calling for him to like give up his TV credit on, on uh, what we do in the shadows. Like, I don't, I just, I don't understand that impulse. I understand the impulse like, all right, we're not, we're going to close ranks. We're not going to work with this guy again, but kicking him off of things that he was involved with, it doesn't make sense to me in this instance. It's not like he murdered someone uh, or, or sexually assaulted someone. As far as we know, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other Scott Rudin stories that are out there, but that's not what we're dealing with, right? We're, right now, we're just talking about bullying issues. And I know that that's terrible. And we've seen what it can lead to, you know, with his former assistant, uh, you know, committing suicide years years later. Um, you know, I, I still, you know, I've, I've had tough bosses. And, and I and I'd like to think, even though some of the things that were said about me in the wake of my tracking board exit, I'd like to think, it wasn't even in the wake of the tracking board exit. Nothing was said bad about me. It was it was, at, it was a year later when I, when I, you know, tweeted about someone and, and then people decided to come after me. But I, I'd like to think that I learned from the bad bosses that I had and was the kind of editor at Tracking Board that I wanted to serve. And so when an employee asked, hey, my sister's in town this weekend. Can I take off Friday? Can I leave half day on Thursday? You know, like, yes, it was always yes. I don't think I ever turned down any one of those requests because I know how hard people work in this line of work. And uh you know, as a, as a reporter, if I made that request and was turned down, I'd be pissed. 
And that's why I always, I mean, I kind of let my staff kind of walk all over me if, if I'm really like self-criticizing myself, but uh, it, it's just not a position I, I don't think I'd love to be in again. As much, as much, as fun as it was to run my own site, didn't love being a manager. Um, not that I, I think I was a bad manager. I just, I didn't love it personally. Um, meanwhile, you know, forget the rude and stuff. Uh, you know, let's move on to the HFPA, which might even be like a bigger shit show. You've got this eight term president, Philip Burke, calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. It's like, what? I, they, I'm glad they kicked this guy out. He's always sucked. And I, honestly, I don't know like what the future of the Golden Globes is or if there's even a future. I, I personally think if I was the HFPA, I would say, guys, this is not something that we're going to get fixed by May 13th or, or May, I don't know, May 6th or whatever, some fucking arbitrary deadline that was either imposed on them by publicists or uh, agreed, you know, I don't know why they agreed to it, but like this is longer than a three-week fix. Um, I think that the Globes need to take a hiatus this coming year. I think they, they need to go back and figure out what they're actually about. Um, because I'm not sure why Hollywood empowers these, this organization. Like everyone's leaving the fucking, the own, their own PR company, Sunshine Sachs is threatening to leave. Uh, and so like, okay, their answer is to bring in 13 black journalists, another arbitrary number just to get them to a hundred uh, total members. Why would 13 black members even want to join this organization? Um, and I realized that, that Philip Burke got called out by a lot of members in the HFPA for that email, but it's just like, I don't know. I think that there's probably some people who he, you know, was trying to reach who probably agreed with him to some extent, or, or I, I'm just, I, I don't think Philip Burke was the only bad apple in the HFPA resisting change all these years. I, I think it's a much more widespread problem. Um, all right. Let's talk about the Fox Searchlight dynamic duo. Nancy Utley, Stephen Galula stepping down after, I don't even know how long at the helm. I'd imagine something like 20 or 25 years of, of, of at Searchlight. I know that they didn't create Searchlight. It was like a Tom, it was Tom Rothman's baby. But, uh, you know, as, as long as I've been covering this industry, those are the two people that I equate with Searchlight. And Searchlight is obviously responsible for some of the greatest movies of the last 20 years. Um, I'd almost say most of, most of the greatest movies of the last 20 years. They, of the last 12 Best Picture winners, they've won four, right? Uh, 12 Years a Slave, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, Shape of Water, and what was the other one? I, I even made the graphic for it, I totally forget. But they're about to win their fifth uh, Best Picture, right? For Nomadland. So, I mean, it's like Matt Bellany tweeted out this week, like just a baller move, like retiring days before you win a fifth. Uh, all right, it was Birdman was the other one, Birdman. But retiring days before you win a fifth best picture uh, statue, pretty incredible. Um, I always liked Nancy and, and Steven, not that I had like a ton of personal interaction with them, but I'd always say hi to, to uh, Steve at film festivals. He was at like every film festival I think I ever attended. Um, Nancy has, was always a sweetheart in our maybe one or two interactions. And I am uh, a fan of her daughter, Emma, and um, they just good people, good people with good taste. Uh, yeah. And I never really heard any like nasty stories about them. Like that's why Searchlight, you know, that's why they built a the business they did at Searchlight because filmmakers wanted to work there. It's a filmmaker friendly environment. Um, I don't know if these two are just like victims of the Disney merger, if they sort of rubbed up against the Allens, Alan Bergman and Alan Horn at Disney, because uh, I feel like I've heard sort of rumblings to that effect where it's like, hey, we're searchlight, we're autonomous, like, you know, leave us alone. And, and Disney's like, no, you know, we're, we're in charge now. So I don't know if it was that kind of situation. Or if it's just like, because nobody retires in Hollywood, but maybe they were the, because they are two of the smartest people in the business, maybe they're just like, yeah, like, let's just get out of here. Like, look at what is happening in this industry right now. It's, it's, it's time to get out if you can get out and go out on a high note. Like, I really respect that. Uh, same way Seinfeld went out on a high note, you know, like, uh, anyways, thank you to both of them for all the incredible movies that they, that they green light. Uh, green lit under their watch and uh, hopefully Nomadland wins the big one on Sunday. 
But by the way, if they want to start a new company or whatever, there will be no no shortage of investors and, and uh, filmmakers wanting to work with them. Uh, Vin Diesel doing a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. I don't know how The Rock didn't wind up in this thing. It seems like you had to go to The Rock first, right? If you didn't, this is like corporate negligence. Um, so did The Rock pass? Is The Rock going to somehow wind up in this movie despite his rocky relationship with Vin Diesel? Uh, didn't we already see a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie with real steel? I mean, that's basically what it was. Plus, this is like another father-son thing. That was a father-son thing. Couldn't they have made this like a father-daughter story? Just anything to distinguish it, differentiate it from um, Real Steel, which I was not a big fan of. Uh, yeah. Plus, like, who? No. Mm -mm. Vin Diesel. Come on. Can Vin Diesel get back to, like, acting? Like, he's actually not a terrible actor. I know he's not a great actor, but, like, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Find Me Guilty, Boiler Room. When he has a good role... He can be a good actor. Like, Vin, go find a supporting role like that. I, I, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, okay. Pa Black Panther 2 staying in, in, in Georgia. Uh, Ryan Coogler made that announcement that he's going to stay and fight, you know, the, the new restrictive voting laws rather than flee like the emancipation did. They emancipated themselves from Georgia. Um, and, and, and we talked about last week why I think that is... Um, why I, I defend the right uh, for Will Smith and, and Antoine Fuqua to do that, uh, particularly with the kind of movie that they were making, but also that we can't just give up on Atlanta because that is a major pipeline for, for you know, crew members of, of color to, to get their starts in the, into the industry and, and break in. Um, it would be a shame to just you know, leave Atlanta uh, because of that stuff. Uh, Lord of the Rings is gonna cost 465 million. That's just for production on season one. Keep in mind that, that I don't even think that, that counts Amazon's 250 million that it paid to acquire the rights. So they paid a quarter of a billion dollars just to say, all right, this is ours now and now we can make a show. Now they're gonna spend, they, they spent $465 million, almost half a billion on the first season of Lord of the, uh, of Lord of the Rings, after the, the tax credits and everything kick in, it sounds like it's going to be around 350 million, right? It's like 114, $115 million tax credit. Uh, this is still three and a half times larger than the average season of Game of Thrones, which costs a uh, hundred million. So, you know, we better see some real scope out of this Lord of the Rings show. I mean, Amazon is like all in on this thing. I know they have unlimited funds. So like, what, what does this matter? You know, it, it's really just, that's the thing. I don't, it's, the math is totally different with these streamers, not to mention how they make up the money, right? That it's not like this is a TV show. So yeah, it's going to drive, may drive some subscriptions, but like, it's not like they have to do, you know, make it back up at the box office or anything like that. I don't even know what the marketing spend on this is going to be. I wonder if Amazon ends up spending another hundred million just to promote their show. Um, we don't get a lot of like figures on, on Amazon shows. Uh, you know, every now and then uh, a stat about the, the movies slips out, but I don't know. I, I feel like this could be a tough investment to justify, but at the same time, you need a, a like a big anchor for your streaming service. And if you can't generate one on your own, like a, like a stranger things, then yeah, you, you got to go buy top notch IP like this. Um, but yeah, an, an eye-popping figure for sure. The Predator screenwriters, they are suing Disney for the rights back to their movie. Apparently they let them know five years ago that they were going to be putting in for this and, and Disney didn't respond. And then as the clock is ticking down, they're like, wait, 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 you're taking the Predator franchise from us? No, 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 no. But that is sort of the new, uh, you know, that, that's sort of um, allowed under, under copyright laws these days. Any, any work that's like 35 years or older reverts back to the creators. Um, now, like, what are these guys going to do with the Predator rights? I mean, Hollywood could just be like, listen, we're not interested in Predator. Here's your rights back. Good luck. Uh, and then, you know, they don't, these guys probably don't have the money to, to self-finance something with Predator. Um, but it also means if they do get the rights back, that they could do whatever they want with it. They could go set up a Predator TV show at Amazon or set up a new Predator movie at Apple. Like, it would definitely be a big payday for those guys, which is why I understand, um, you know, why they're fighting so hard for this. But that would have widespread re repercussions for a lot of, you know, 80s franchises and things like that, where, you know, 
would would like uh, was it Bob Kane right and and Zemeckis who did Back to the Future is that what it is? I, forgive me, I, I may be wrong. Um, but like, what if Universal just woke up one day and didn't have the rights to Back to the Future anymore, and and, and those guys could take it anywhere? It it has um, a lot of of consequences if that lawsuit uh, does go through. Um, Paul Greengrass directing Night of Camp David, which I think sounds pretty interesting. It is based on a book basically about a, a president um, who's like losing his mind, becoming super paranoid. And like, you know, I want to, th- this enemy is our new ally and, and our allies now our enemy and, and everybody's out to get me. And I mean, obviously very timely in the wake of all the Trump stuff. I, I would have liked to have seen this movie uh, actually come out at some point over the last four years. Feels like we may have moved on a little bit, but if anybody can, you know, make hay out of this thing, it's probably Paul, Paul Greengrass, who's an excellent director. Uh, what else? Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo doing a movie about Cinderella's evil stepsisters. Nice to see the Barb and Star duo reuniting. Hopefully they can come up with something a little less, less silly than Barb and Star. Um, I was more of a bridesmaids kind of, kind of guy. We don't know if they're going to be playing the evil stepsisters themselves. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they did, but Disney could always go younger. Uh, there's a Haunted Mansion, speaking of Disney, there's a Haunted Mansion movie in the works from Justin Simeon, the creator of Dear White People, who also did Bad Hair and is doing the Lando series for Disney+. Plus. Um, so they're staying in business with him on that. And then he seems like a decent choice for that coming off of, uh, of Bad Hair, which I thought was okay. It's a little long when I saw it at Sundance, needed a, a trim. Uh, so I didn't see the edited cut, uh, but it definitely showed promise from, from, from Justin Simeon. Like, um, could be interesting to see him with with a little bit of a budget. I but I am curious whether that's like for Disney theatrical or if that's something that, that might wind up on Disney Plus. Uh, speaking of Disney, they struck a, a a big deal, big deal with Sony. If you listen uh, to the trades and everything, and I get I get it, I get why it's a big deal. It's because the prospect of putting you know the Spider Man movies. Uh, on on a streaming service with the other MCU stuff and having the, the complete MCU together under one streaming roof, that's exciting for a lot of people. Now, I get that there's a lot of people who are going to come, you know, discover movies on streaming services, right? Uh, even in the third window, which is what this is. Um, I just felt like, you know, for the purposes of like Collider's audience, I mean, you guys all are seeing these movies opening weekend, you know, you're not like coming around, you're not catching up with things four weeks later, let alone nine months later, if you can help it, right? So, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home is going to come out in theaters. And I don't know, 75, 80% of Collider's audience is going to see it there. And then it's going to wind up on Netflix. And whoever didn't see it in theaters is probably going to watch it on Netflix because everybody has Netflix. And then it's going to go to Disney Plus. So like, how many people really are going to discover that movie on, on Disney plus? I just felt like this press release, which everybody was kind of freaking out about was the equivalent of FX saying, Hey, we got the rights to Jurassic world, you know, like, okay. And, and you know, I, there are movies I've been going back and watching old movies. Uh, I watched La Femme Nikita last night and I watched hard boiled the night before that. Um, so it's not like, if you don't see a movie in theaters or in that first pay TV window on Netflix, you know, if, if you don't see a movie, then you're just never going to see it. Um, but it just, I don't know. The, the, the upside for Disney and all of this, of course, it gets like Jumanji. It gets, uh, you know, in addition to the Marvel stuff, it gets Jumanji hotel, Transylvania. Meanwhile, Sony, Sony's like paramount, right? They're just like selling, you know, they're as much a seller as they are a buyer realize they're not going to beat Disney or Netflix, right? You can't beat them at, at that game. So you just got to like, I don't know, get into business with these people while you can. And that's how these studios are staying afloat. It's these, these smaller kind of streaming deals. Um, and yeah, I, I think Lionsgate will be next. Like everyone's like, okay, John Wick 4 is going to come out in theaters next year. And then it's going to be where, what, what streaming service is going to get the rights that, to, you know, that, that first pay TV window. Will it be Netflix? And then, you know, who's going to be the second window? I don't know. Windows, though, I think what it shows is that it's still, windows are still important. Uh, Okay, Pilu Azbek joined Aquaman 2. Not sure if he's playing a good guy or a bad guy. I don't even know if I read the actual article. 
Um, but I, I, I like that actor. I, I think he's interesting. He, him and, you know, guys like him and, and uh, Matthias Schoenarts. I don't know. For some reason, it's the foreign guys who, who have kind of uh, impressed me. Um, and he, he looks like he could play like a real tough guy, too. I liked him in, what was it? Ghosts in the Shell. Uh, Adria Ar- Arjona joining Father of the Bride at Warner Brothers. Uh, she's going to be playing the bride. The Father of the Bride is Andy Garcia. They don't have a mother of the bride yet. I've heard some rumors. Uh, I'll throw it out there. Why not? I'd heard, I mean, first of all, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a Cuban family. Uh, so I've heard that they went after Gloria Estefan as mom. I don't know if that'll actually happen, but uh, that is what I'd heard is that Warner Brothers was making a play for Gloria Estefan for Father of the Bride. Pete Davidson to play Joey Ramone in I Slept with Joey Ramone at Netflix. Sure. Okay. I mean, people like Pete Davidson, it, like I said, it's becoming a real movie star. People, they may have their thoughts on Pete Davidson and his personal life. Uh, but I think he's, he seems fairly likable. Um, so even though a lot of people, I felt like met this idea, was just like, no, 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 no. I, you know, for Netflix, I think it, it, it makes sense. Um, to do, you know, they, they did Motley Crue, they did the, the Motley Crue movie, The Dirt, now it's Joey Ramone. They've also got a Kiss biopic in the works, and that is from uh, Joachim Ronick, from, uh, the, he's the director of Pirates of the Caribbean 5, right? Dead Men Tell No Tales. He also did Maleficent 2, Mistress of Evil, and, uh, and Contiki, which really showed me his chops. Um, I mean, I, you know, Kiss is okay. I'm not as high on them, but like maybe I just need a good documentary like the Bee Gees got. I don't, I don't know that I would have said I'm a huge Bee Gees fan, but that documentary is like, actually all these songs that you know and love were written by the Bee Gees. You're like, oh shit. These guys are way more than just like the disco stuff that, that I'd, uh, you know, come to, that had come to define them. So uh, yeah, Kiss biopic. I mean, you, you're going to have to find somebody crazy to play, to play Gene Simmons. Um <laughs> But uh, I don't know, that, that could be fun. That, that they've certainly sold 100 million records or whatever worldwide. So they, they, have, they merit the, the treatment like a queen or an Elton John. Uh, Netflix also tapped Paul Dano to join the cast of Adam Sandler's Netflix movie Spaceman. Uh, I don't know, he's, he's voicing the spider. I know that much. They've been trying to get him for months. I don't know if the spider's a villain. I didn't read the book. Someone corrected me and saying, well, the that's not really what the spider creature is in that. I just know he's going to be like the fucking voice that, that Adam Sandler is hearing in the movie. Uh, what else? Brad Pitt cameoing in Lost City of D, the Sandra Bullock movie, after Sandra Bullock cameoed in Bullet Train. So it's two A-listers trading off cameos, doing each other favors. Um, Netflix. I'm not more Netflix. Spending $17 billion on content this year. That's up from $11.8 billion last year. Uh, the company's also slimming down its marketing budgets. And, uh, you know, uh, the word is that they're buying back stock because they're just becoming even more profitable, though they did just have a, a rough uh, quarter as far as, you know, adding adding subscribers and stuff go. I think a lot of that had, did have to do with the pandemic. Um, you know, they weren't able to put as many things into production. I mean, I, I've noticed it. Like, there's a lot more reliance on documentaries and, and, and stuff like that. Um, what else Amelia Clark and Olivia Coleman joining Marvel's secret invasion. That's a, that's a good cast that they've lined up for the show, right? Cause it's Sam Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, both great. Kingsley Benadir is the villain. Now Amelia Clark in a, in a mystery role and Olivia Coleman, uh, Oscar winner. That's a great, that's a very good cast for a Marvel series. Um, and it's the Marvel series that I'm, that I, you know, I forget like the first wave here with Loki and Falcon and, and WandaVision, but in that next wave of shows, you know, like Hawkeye and whatnot, Secret Invasion is the one that I'm looking forward to. Even though I didn't love Captain Marvel or the whole, you know, Kree, Skrull, all that shit. Dakota Johnson lining up Jane Austen's Persuasion. It's a modern adaptation. Uh, you know, good for her. I, I don't really, Jane Austen's not, not my bag, baby, but uh Dakota Johnson seems like a smart choice for her. John Cameron Mitchell casts Joe Exotic in the NBCU series with Kate McKinnon. I kind of love that casting. 50 Cent joining uh, Free Agents, which is a movie about um, like a, a football team that does heists together, essentially. 
It's a, it's a, it's actually a very, very interesting hook. And this is the kind of movie that gives off like a takers den of thieves, guilty pleasure, crime movie vibe. Uh, and 50 cent, you know, he's got a fan base after between the music and, and, and his star series power. That is, you know, who, who this uh, movie will likely uh, appeal to and is intended for. Chris Morgan producing Infinite about a guy stalked by his own doppelganger. Fallon Fox is getting her own biopic. Uh, she is the first openly transgender MMA fighter. Uh, Mark Gordon will produce that movie. Chloe Coleman from My Spy joining Chris Pine in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Devin Rattray, who will always be Buzz McAllister to me, joining Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy. Um, Caitlin Deaver starring in No One Will Save You from writer-director Brian Duffield, which reminds me I really need to watch Spontaneous. I still didn't see, haven't seen that. Caitlin Deaver, great actress. And I like that title, No One Will Save You. Is she no one? Could she, is it like a nobody type situation? Uh, the MTV Movie and TV Awards uh, announced their nominations this week. What can I say about the show? I am not a teenager anymore. Uh, I mean, God, this show used to be so fucking cool and it, it handed out the awards to like the coolest movies. Go back and look at like the first seven or eight years of the MTV Movie Awards. Fantastic nominees, fantastic winners. Now the show is just run by like fucking TikTokers and it's what a mess. It's been downhill ever since the Twilight days. Uh, some congrats are in order. Congrats to Matt Perniciaro on signing with CAA. I, I've been following Matt's career for a long time. He just directed that Moment of Truth series for IMDb, T, uh, IMDb TV about the murder of Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan. Uh, congrats to my old pal, Asaf Swissa. Swissa! Who I used to go to summer camp with. He just signed a big Viacom CBS deal as Julian Edelman's producing partner at Coast Productions. Um, that's awesome, Asaf. Uh, and, and congrats to Julian on joining the cast of uh, Inside the NFL. He's going to be in the studio for that show. And congrats to Gray Munford on becoming head of global comms at Clubhouse. Gray ran communications for CBS Films, I think possibly since its inception. Um, and he was always very, very good to me. I'm not on Clubhouse. So Gray, if you're, if you're watching this somehow and you want to send me an invite, I'm going to need, I need some convincing. Convince me why I need to get on Clubhouse because I do see plenty of people on it, but I just don't get it. I'm a late, I'm a late adopter to these kinds of things. Trailer time, um, Shang-Chi. And it looked pretty cool. It looked, uh, it looked interesting. I mean, seemingly when he's doing that double kick, like that, that was pretty badass. I'm just hoping for some awesome fight scenes in this. And Aquafina looked fun too. Annette, I've heard really good things about this. I know uh, former Amazon exec Ted Hope is very high on it. This is the Adam Driver, Annette Benning. Annette Benning. <laughs> That's the movie, Annette. Uh, the Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard movie, excuse me. Um, and it looks very, you know, visually dazzling. I didn't love Leo's Carax's, uh, the fucking movie with Denis Levant, the French movie. I couldn't stand it, to be honest. Um, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the name of that movie. But, uh, but, but listen, the, the cast of this sounds interesting and uh, I can't wait to hear the music and everything. I, I'm definitely gonna be there for Annette. Oxygen, we got to look at Alexander Aha's new movie with Melanie Laurent at, at Netflix. Um, you know, Netflix just released Stowaway, actually, which is a movie about a, a, the crew of a, sp a spaceship that's running out of oxygen. So, this is another running out of oxygen movie. Uh, but yeah, Melanie Laurent, I'll see, I, I, we got to wrap this podcast up because I'm, I'm starting to lose it. Now, Melanie Laurent is a very good actress, and I am looking forward to that. Alexander Aha, just one of those genre directors who you have to pay attention to. Uh, he's not, you know, they're not all hits, but um, he, he is a pretty solid track record in my book. We also saw, uh, was it Michael Franco? A trailer for Michael Franco's New Order, which is a movie I saw last year, and I, I liked it. I just didn't love it because I was expecting, like, you know, the best movie of the year as that trailer ends. I don't think it, it was quite there for me, um, but it's definitely a solid international feature. Um, and then we got a trailer for Love, Death, and Robots Volume 2, which I thought looked really good. I'd kind of forgotten about that whole show. Um, and, and there were a few, like, I don't know, maybe there were 17 in, the, in season one. And I liked like three or four were really good. And, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't great, but these, it looks even bigger and trippier. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, 
this is nice just to be able to say, oh, I'm falling asleep. I got 10 minutes before my eyes shut. I'm going to check out a short film in the Love, Death, and Robots collection. Uh, I, I said that I watched La Femme Nikita and Hard Boiled this week um, using a friend's plex. Thank you. Uh, those are big holes in my, you know, movie knowledge. And they were both pretty good. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that if I had seen them in the early 90s, I would have really flipped for them. Uh, but they held up pretty well, I would say. Not movies I necessarily go back to, though. Uh, Stowaway, I liked that. This is from Joe Penna, who, who really impressed me with his Mads Mikkelsen movie, Arctic. Uh, Anna Kendrick is great in this. I don't want to say too much about it. You know, it is a chamber drama in space. So, you know, it's not gravity. It's not like a thrill ride. It, it is a actually really well-written drama, I thought. Um, I know, you know, there were some reviews that that's, thought some of the, the character development was a little thin and they, they would have liked to have, you know, known a little bit more about Shamir Anderson's character. But I, I, I liked it and I liked the ending. It was kind of haunting. I had to watch it a few times. Uh, but I, I would recommend that on Netflix for sure. Shiva Baby, big recommendation. That was a 76 minute movie. You take away credits, you're looking at 74, 75 minutes, like a, a very funny debut from Emma Seligman um, and the lead actress, I think it's Rachel Senna, really impressed me. She, she was very good. So was um, Molly Gordon, who was in Good Boys. That's what she was in. The whole cast though, I really like Shiva Baby. I'm glad I paid attention to the buzz on the, that one. Oh, we're wrapping up here. Five more minutes. Why Did You Kill Me? The Netflix documentary crime movie about like a, a mother who basically catfishes gang members to find out who, who killed her daughter. It was interesting. I think it was worth a look, particularly... Like, you know, in the last week or two, there, there, haven't been, there hasn't been a lot of movies uh, to watch. So I, I, you know, that's why I, I went back and watched La Femme Nikita and Hardwell because I, I felt like, you know, the, the new stuff is, isn't doing it for me. So I might as well go back and, and Ed, but Why Did You Kill Me was one of those movies where it's like, I'm starting, you know, this is like starting to trend. I'm seeing a lot of buzz on this because it's Netflix. You always hear about the buzz on that one. So I checked it out and I'm glad I did, although it, it's not something that I think will like stick with me. Uh, I also saw The Marksman the new Liam Neeson thriller coming out. It came out in theaters, you know, when nobody was going to theaters uh, or very few people. I certainly wasn't. Um, but I've been looking forward to it. I caught it on on, uh, on a friend's plex again. And um, I liked it. I thought it was one of the better recent Liam Neeson movies. I, I, you know, his movies, he's kind of doing the same thing in, in most of them. This one has a little bit more heart because it pairs him with a, a young Mexican boy. Uh, there's obviously a lot of, I don't know, explore some interesting themes surrounding immigration and whatnot, but it still delivers the, the Liam Neeson action thrills that you've come to expect. Uh, so that's the review portion of the show. Mailbag questions really quickly. Carter Bennett asks, have I heard anything about David Leach's stuntman drama that Ryan Gosling is attached to? No, but only because Gosling's been busy with you know, the, the gray man, David Leach is attached to like a zillion projects, but he did fall off of um, the fucking Jake Gyllenhaal movie, right? The, the division. So, you know, it's going to be something else on his docket that, that gets his next slot. It could be the Ryan Gosling thing, but, you know, Gosling's also attached to a, a zillion projects himself. So I'm not exactly sure what, what their, the two calendars look like there. Uh, but those are two very busy calendars that need to somehow line up. Will Drowdulis, Will Drowdulis, Will, my man. Hey, Jeff, hope all is well. I was wondering if you'd heard anything about the release of No Sudden Move with Soderbergh producing the Oscars this weekend. It feels like a missed chance to have Soderbergh just completely own the weekend. Thanks again. Feels a little soon uh, to me on that one, Will. I know that movie is wrapped and, and that Steven works super duper quickly in, in post-production. Maybe the fact that he is producing these Oscars made, made him sort of slow down that schedule a bit. I would imagine that we will see No Sudden Move, uh, if not this fall, like September, October, November, then early next year, like January, February. Um, it all sort of depends on whether Warner Brothers sort of, you know, sticks to its HBO Max strategy, because I don't know that No Sudden Move 
was a Warner Brothers movie. It was always designed for HBO Max, but now it's like about finding the right weekend on HBO Max because all these big Warner Brother movies are, are now debuting day and date. So we'll see if Warner Brothers continues to go that route after the summer. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like Zack Snyder's Justice League delivered the subscribers that they were looking for. I know they tried to spin it as a win, but I, I just don't really think that moved the needle for the general populace. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong seemed to do that a little bit more, but you know, is it worth it to then cannibalize your theatrical audience? Um, so I just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm personally leaving the door open for Warner Brothers to walk back that decision and say, Dune is in theaters only you know, rather than on HBO Max as well, because I just don't know how many people it's really going to bring in as subscribers and uh, giving all the people the option who do want to see it, giving them the option to watch, to watch it at home, you know, they could be costing themselves a lot of money, leaving a lot of money on the table. Uh, Dan Castillo, this was an interesting one. He said, Jeff, hope you're doing well. If I remember right, you said you're not really a gamer. But would you ever consider watching a playthrough of The Last of Us game before the HBO series premieres? These can range anywhere from six hours or more, depending on how detailed the player who played the game is. Uh, so, you know, so it can essentially be a mini series in terms of time. I admit I'm biased because I love the game, but while I recognize the game's central story is relatively simple, it's the execution along with the characters, voice acting and mocap performances that really made it stand apart. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how it will translate. And if you've heard any other casting news or rumors surrounding the series with a recent edition of Gabriel Luna, uh, love the show, listen every week. Um, I have not heard any other casting rumors on The Last of Us, I don't believe. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we covered the, the Gabriel Luna thing, but I, I really like that. And I can totally see him as Pedro Pascal as uh, brothers. Gabriel Luna I spent a night with in Vegas. Uh, I, I had dinner with the teams behind Sonic the Hedgehog and, and Terminator Dark Fate. And like, I thought like this guy was like a star. Like he was, there was just something magnetic about him. He was fucking excited to be the, the villain in that Terminator movie. Uh, I really liked him in Transpicos. Like I, I, I like this guy. Um, so I think he's a, is a really smart choice for, for HBO. As far as the playthrough, Dan, no, I, I probably would not watch a six hour video game with all like the cut scenes. It's just not, it's not my bag, the, the, the video game stuff. Even as a teenager, my friends were super into like Final Fantasy games. And I was like, oh, you know, they would play them for like 12 hours until like their eyes popped out of their heads. And I'd be like, eh, call, call me tomorrow when you guys are playing NBA Jam and shit again. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for the Snyder Cut this week. We, we got to mailbag finally. We did some congrats. We did trailers and reviews. We did the news. And most importantly, we did the interview with, with uh, Craig Zobel. Make sure that you watch episode two and, and all of the episodes of Mayor of Easttown because it really is fantastic. I gave the show an A-. minus. Um, yeah. And tune in Monday for four-year consideration. We're going to recap the Oscars. Guys, the Oscars are Sunday night. I'm going to be tweeting out all the winners from the Collider account. Make sure to follow that Collider account. I'm going to be doing some live tweeting for my Insider Plus uh, Twitter account, which is just for paid subscribers. So if you haven't signed up and you, and you like what I have to say, head over there, but make sure to watch the, the, the last episode of For Your Consideration, in which we give all of our predictions in all 23 categories. Yes, 23, not 24, because the sound categories combined. That's it. Have a wonderful weekend. Go Sound of Metal. I'll see you Monday. Bye.